verses 17 through 19 tonight. And the message is entitled, The New Man's Life. And this is part one. Now that we have come to Christ, there should be such a difference from our former life that others who knew us before should be able to mark the sharp difference. But most of all, we should be amazed at our own transformation. The wealth of the believer has been given to us in chapter 1 through 3 by the love of God. All that he's given and done for us, the wealth of the believer by the love of God. Now, the walk of the believer in the love of God is from chapter 4, verse 1 to chapter 6, verse 9. This is the section we're in. Paul turns or returns literally to the theme of walking worthy of the call of Christ that he began in chapter 4, verse 1, but he does it in two ways. From the negative approach, the life without Christ, here in verses 17 to 19, and then from the positive approach, the life with Christ in chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. So, what we want to do is look at the admonishment admonishment here of Paul to the Christians not to live like the Gentiles, which is characterized by three things in verses 17 through 19. Let me read. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feelings uh, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So Paul's admonition to not live like the Gentiles is characterized by the following. First, the prohibition of living like the heathen, verse 17. Secondly, the condition of the life of heathens in verse 18. And thirdly, the destruction to the life of heathens, verse 19. It begins with the prohibition of living like a heathen. Notice here in verse 17, Paul the Apostle qualifies his proclamation of the prohibition. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. Paul gave the reason for the proclamation he's about to declare. This I say, therefore. The word this means for this cause. And it is emphatic being placed at the beginning of the sentence. The emphasis is due to the previous section of the united efficiency of the church body. In view of what he's just covered, the identity equally is emphatic. I say he was their pastor in the past. He was there with them three years. Now he's left Timothy there. The word, therefore, as you know, is a complement to this I say, and it means accordingly or consequently. It's a, it's a concluding word. Whenever you see therefore, that means this is the bottom line from what we've talked about. This is the conclusion. In view of the fact of all this stuff, um, even as chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, in view of the facts that you are to walk worthy of, of, of your calling and keeping the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, 
And then verse 11 to 16, in view that Jesus has gifted the church through the gifted men that are listed there to equip the body in order to not be tossed to and fro and deceived, but to be Christ-like in maturity and to edify the body in love. In view of all this, Paul gave his vested authority to write and instruct them in the ways of God and testify in the Lord. So in view of this direction that God is giving him for them through this letter, a letter that you would receive as anybody else except that this is God's revelation, God's word. It isn't just human words as we see here. The word testify means to forward or to witness by words. Languages are interesting. They're just kind of different sounds and clicks and, and consistency of, uh, of um, phonetics and, and, and you make communication. One word means one thing, but when you hook them together to three or four other words, although they have individual meaning, when you compile them together, they have a little slight meaning that are hooked together to communicate exactly what you mean. And when you know a language, it makes clear sense. When you know two languages, you can understand it. But when you don't know a language, you think that they're just talking, you know, garbled language or whatever. What do they, what do they mean? And God has given this ability for us to communicate. You and I are the only ones that can communicate with words. Dogs don't communicate with words. Now, you can train them, but they can't understand. They can't respond. Only humans do. And the phrase in the Lord is the nature of his words, the person of Jesus Christ under divine inspiration. The words were for their new life in Christ, not human mores or norms. No sociology, no psychology, no philosophy, but divine inspiration. The expression notice is found nowhere else right here. In the, the, this is the only time it's found in the New Testament. The proclamation is motivated by Paul's life in the Lord. And the proclamation is to be obeyed by the believer. So when people read the New Testament, it's not just a suggestion to do what it tells us, but it's a command for us to do what we're reading. Uh, this letter is as authoritative and as personal directly to me as it was for the people of that day. Notice still in 17, the Apostle Paul identified the proclama his proclamation of the prohibition that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Paul declared that the Ephesians were to live different than in the past. Once again, this is an imperative command, not a suggestion, not an option for some and not for others. The command is in the negative that you should no longer walk. The negative command is not to discourage the believers, but to affirm the positive change of life from a sinner to a saint. The old man versus the new man. I got to put off the old man. I got to put on the new man. We'll see this more clearly next time. Because you and I still have sin nature. Wish to God that when I was born again, my sin nature would have been done away with. It would have been pie in the sky, cruising. But that's not it. Until the day I die, I have a sin nature. I'm going to have to yield to the new nature and deny the old nature. I do that through the grace of God and the new divine nature he gives to me. And if God enables you, then to say I can't do it is really a lie. 
or just plain rebellion. Because you and I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. And if he commands you, he automatically enables you. Because he's not the author of confusion. Now, the present tense here indicates two things. That the Ephesians had already made the change of lifestyle. Very evident. And that the Ephesians were now to continue in their new lifestyle. Once again, you have known people who have started but didn't continue. You have seen others who went back in the world. Then they've come back. The possibilities are many. But as Christians, we are to start and continue as we fight the good fight of faith. This is synonymous with to walk worthy of our calling of chapter 4, verse 1. Now notice Paul commanded the Ephesians that they were not to walk any longer as the rest of the Gentiles. Gentile ethnos, we get the ethnic background from this. Indicating all who were non-Jews. The world was made up of Jews and Gentiles. That's it. Some proselytes who came into the Jewish faith. Now, the world is made up of Jews, Gentiles, and the church of God that comprises Jew and Gentile. Born again. And those are the three categories the New Testament puts it. Jew, Gentile, not saved. The church of God, Jew and Gentile that are born again. The expression rest of the Gentiles indicates two things. They used to be Gentiles, lost sinners. And they now were Gentiles, saved saints, new creatures in Christ. All things were passed away. Everything had become new in 2 Corinthians 5.17. You and I have to be reminded often just as parents, we have to remind our children of many things over and over and over again. The same for our life in Christ. That's why it's important that you fellowship, that you gather with godly people, that you study the word of God, that you're involved in ministry. So that you can be there to encourage others and they're there to encourage you. They pray for you, you pray for them, and you're both in the trenches looking for the Lord's coming and occupying while you're waiting. As you know, Gentiles didn't know God. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called a circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That was a derogatory term, the uncircumcision. It was an insult. We read it, we don't get the magnitude of it. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world, Ephesians 2.13. What a bleak description of those who don't know God. Now notice that Paul described the Gentile walk as vain in the futility of their mind. The word futility indicates Low quality of life. 
It means that which is senseless, literally. The idea is one of being aimless. It doesn't lead to the goal. It's empty. It's just whatever. The same word is used by Paul to describe the, the three stages of which God gives up sinners. Unclean thoughts, vile affections. The last stages are word translated debased mind. In Romans 1.28 it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. The old King James translates it, reprobate mind. That's the word. The center of this senselessness, aimlessness, and emptiness of life is the mind. Notice carefully. The word mind now involves the intellect, the emotion, and the will, which comprises our conscience. When you're going to do something that you're not supposed to, your conscience kicks into gear. Your intellect calculates. Your emotions are steered. And then you have to decide, should I or shouldn't I? <laughs> the word is used when Jesus opened the understanding of the two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke twenty four forty five. A mind that is filled with senseless and aimless goals and purposes that are not in accord with the will and the purposes of God. We all can identify, though we might have been religious, though we might even have been moral, we understand the life apart from Christ in the world. We gravitate to the standards of the world, to the allowances of the world, to the applause of the world, so that we don't stand out, so that we are one of the world. Solomon sums up the life of the man who doesn't know God like this. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity and vexation of spirit, nothing new under the sun. Like the wind, you just can't grasp it. It's unattainable. You know, as Christians, our lives are not to be senseless and nameless, but lives that seek the will and the purposes of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you by the mercy of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is your reasonable service. And don't be fashioned to this world system, but be transformed, metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is that good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. The will of God is found in the Word of God, nowhere else. Always in the Word of God. As Christians... We have no business walking as we used to walk, living in sin, for we are new creatures and possessed a divine nature. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. God has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the new nature. That means that God, whatever he allows to come into my life, whatever he puts me through, whatever comes into my life by permission, that 
I can be victorious over it. All things pertaining to godliness, that my response should be that which is pleasing to God, that which is according to Scripture. So I have to make my decisions separate from my emotions, separate from my will. That my will, my intellect, my emotions line up with the will of God, the Word of God. In obedience, calling upon Him, depending upon Him. As Christians, we no longer live as the atheist, the agnostic, the secular humanist, due to the fact that we believe that God is, and we have a personal relationship with Him through Jesus Christ, and love Him more than sin, so we submit to Him in obedience, by His grace, through faith. By the edification of the Word of God. You find me a person that does not study the Word of God and read it daily. I'll show you a person who lives like the heathen, even though they call themselves Christian. It will be the, the nature of their life, the consistency of their life. Whatever you put in is going to come out. Whatever captivates your mind, whatever you're feeding yourself, that's what's going to mold and shape you. It's just that simple. Colossians 2a says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, phileo sophia, and empty deceit, according to the traditions of man, according to the basic principle, the ABCs of the world, and not according to Christ. Colossians 2a. Very simple. So the prohibition was to not live like a heathen. All of us fit that category. Notice secondly in verse 18. The condition of the life of, of heathens is given. The Apostle Paul declared the Gentiles thought or their thoughts and their thought of perception was full of darkness. A very picturesque depiction of the Gentiles having their understanding darkened Paul uses the word understanding, and it means the activity and product of the mind to comprehend. The mechanism, the resolve, the process with the final product. Paul has used the word as he prayed for the Ephesians in Ephesians 1.18. Listen, the, eye that the eyes of your understanding, there it is, your thought process and conclusions, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He's praying for the illumination of God's spirit to open up our understanding, to come to right conclusions that align themselves with God's word, what he has given for us. It's also used in chapter 2, verse 3, uh, as he used it for the past life of Paul and the Ephesians, among whom also we, he includes himself, all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, there's the word, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Same word. Paul qualifies his activity and product of mind as the absence of light to perceive. Notice. 
The word darkened simply means to be covered with darkness. No other way to explain it. Opaque. You can't see through. Darkness to the things of God. Darkness to the life of God. That's the context. The word is a principle or participle here in the perfect tense with the middle voice. It indicates a past act with a present and enduring result. This darkness is present and enduring. It's a reality, emphasizing an ongoing condition of one's participation. It's a person who lives under darkness, who thinks about darkness, who is active in darkness. Therefore, they are darkness in every way. Lenski, the Greek scholar, puts it in the following words, quote, They have not merely been plunged into darkness so that if they could get out of, out of it, they could see. The darkness has filled them themselves in their very understanding where there should be light. When you walk into a room and um, you turn on the light, it fills everything in the room. The darkness escapes. Where does it go? In the closet? Under the bed? But then when you turn the light off, Darkness just overtakes everything. You see, light and darkness can't occupy the same room. These are living out the proverb, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools in Romans one twenty two. The heathen. They boast about how foolish we are as Christians, believing that Jesus is God. That he's coming back. That our sins are forgiven. That we have a new heart. Some of these guys are pretty smart. Some of them are lawyers, doctors, engineers. Teachers. But professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. Leaning to their own understanding. Notice the Apostle Paul declared the Gentiles have no relationship to the quality of life related to God. Being alienated from the life of God. So Paul stated they are alienated, which means to be estranged, shut out, out of the fellowship and intimacy with God. The word was used by Paul to describe the bleakest of the Gentile world, as I read before in in 2.12, that at that time you were without Christ, being alien from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You have the word there. The word appears only three times in the New Testament. Two of them here in Ephesians in 2.12 and 4.18. Only one other time in Colossians one twenty one, As you know, Colossians and Ephesians, if you read them, they have much of the same stuff, but the emphasis is a little different. Okay? 
Jesus is the head of the church in, in Ephesians. Um, in Colossians, um, Jesus is the head over everything. <laughs> He's the creator, the visible form of the invisible God. <laughs> Notice they had not, they had no right to God. None whatsoever. Being dead in trespasses and sins, as we read in chapter 2, verse 1. Living according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, chapter 2, verse 2. And being committed to conduct themselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and whereby nature, by nature children of wrath, just as others, in chapter 2, verse 3. Those very reasons, they couldn't be one with God. For those very reasons, you and I had no relationship with God prior to being born again. Does that mean we had no capacity for good, that we never did anything good? No, you could. You did, but that couldn't save you. Because we're creating the image and likeness of God, we have the capacity for doing good things, even being moral. God created us as such, but our bent through the sin nature is towards evil and darkness and disobedience and rebellion. You don't have to go very far. You can start with yourself, but start with a little six-month baby, a year-old baby. And you tell him not to do something. Thank God God gave us babies that have no teeth and can't coordinate, and all they can do is lay there. Because if they could walk and they had teeth and they had muscles, at three in the morning they'd straddle your neck and strangle you because they're hungry. They don't care if you've only had one hour's sleep as a mommy. All they know is they're hungry and they want milk and they have soiled their pants and they want to be changed. And they don't really care if you only got one hour's sleep. It doesn't really matter. And if you think that changes when they're 16 or 17 then your kids must not live with you. <laughs> the word is a participle perfect, once again the middle voice, indicating a past act with its present and enduring results. This emphasizes the continuous condition by participation. So Paul stated specifically what they were separated from and had nothing to do with the life of God. Zoe is the word for life and means the state of one who is possessed of vitality or is animate. There's life in you. The life principle of every living thing. We get the word zoology from it. Though the Gentiles had physical life breathing and moving around, they were void of the life of God that was imparted by God because they weren't saved. They're void of that because they haven't repented. It's called spiritual life, eternal life, and abundant life. The divine nature was not in them, so God could not live through them. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. 
So it's that crucified life as we say no to the old man and yes to the new man and we draw from God that we have this incredible privilege of being one with God. Notice the Apostle Paul declared the reason for their darkened mind and alienation from the life of God, the presence of ignorance. Because of the ignorance that is in them. Paul used the word ignorance, which means simply lack of information or knowledge. This ignorance is not the result of the absence of light or information, by the way. This is an original ignorance that is in them by sin nature, as well as it was in you before Christ and in me, and it's still not present side by side with the divine nature. This also is the result of denying the full light of conscience, creation, and the Creator God in Romans chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. Listen carefully. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes were clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened about God. This ignorance, notice, is a specific ignorance by the presence of the article, the ignorance. It is by choice of disbelieving, denying, and rejecting the light and information God has provided. When they knew God, they didn't want to glorify Him as God. About the fall, sin, and death. You guys believe a real flood, a real creation. Six days, huh? Yep. You guys believe in that guy, what's his name? Adam? And you know, he kind of just ruined the whole thing. Yep, we do. And you believe he brought death in. You have a better answer for it? How'd death come? <laughs> Explain to me. Why does everybody die? About salvation, justification, redemption, glorification. People make fun of it. Especially in our society today. Now, one time, people revered Christianity in America. Most people don't anymore. Certainly the universities and professors do not. And when there is one, they pay a great price. That goes in any institution in America any longer. About divine judgment to come for the just and the unjust. Boy, they have a field day with that one. Armageddon. Everybody, even non-believers, know about Armageddon. They know about Sodom and Gomorrah. They know about the flood, but they mock it. They know about Samson. They have a good time with it. They hated the light they had, so it turned into willful ignorance. That's what he's talking about. 
Listen to the words of Jesus in John 3.19. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Is Jesus lying? <laughs> Absolutely not. Notice still in 19, the Apostle Paul declared the ultimate and primary cause for all these things in the presence of what we've looked at. It is simply this, the presence of a hard heart. This is the ultimate primary cause for everything we've read up to this point. The hard heart. Because of the blindness of their heart. Paul wanted the Ephesians to understand clearly that the horrible condition of the Gentiles was due to their own doing, their heart, not God. Everybody always wants to, oh, well, if there's a God, why did he make me the way I am? <laughs> he made you in his image. He didn't make you an idiot. That's your doing. And everybody wants to hang God out, right? Right? And justify, well, if God didn't want me to smoke marijuana, why did he have it grow? Right? Well, God made poison too. You want to take some? You're very selective in your, your choices. The word heart, cardia, is the organ that pumps blood throughout the circulatory system, as you know, for every living thing to maintain life. No one can live without a heart, and no one can um, live long with an unhealthy heart. The way Paul used the word heart here in our context is in a threefold way, as the personal center of the Gentile of a person. Their intellect, emotions, and will, as I said earlier. The heart, the center of, of, of who you really are, the real person. Paul described the condition of the heart as blindness. Notice that. The word blindness, perosis, you might catch the word there. It means to cover with a callus. Originally, it meant a rock harder than marble. Later, it came to be used medically for chalk stones that formed on the joints and paralyzed people. Osteoporosis, there's the word, is the condition of bones becoming brittle and fragile by the loss of calcium. And because they become brittly hard, they're easy to break. The idea is one of callousness and a hard, petrified heart to the things of God, so one is not able to feel, sense, or perceive. If you ever have worked construction, you get calluses on your hands. You don't feel some things. When I used to compete in gymnastics, my hand was just one big callus. Couldn't feel nothing. By constantly working bars. This is what happens. It's a, it's a, it's a callus over the heart. It's a hardness. The things of God can't penetrate. They just bounce off. The word appears only two other times in the New Testament. 
In Mark 3, 5, listen. And when he had looked around at them in anger, this is Jesus, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. The hardness of their heart. They were so angry because he might heal him. <laughs> the other one's Romans 11.25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness, there it is, in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. They rejected their Messiah. Their heart has become callous and hard to accept the revelation of God that Jesus is their Messiah until the fullness of the Gentile, the full number, the last person that repents and the Lord removes his church and God will pour out his spirit and start dealing with the nation of Israel. You know, just as physical causes lead to physical conditions and consequences, so on the spiritual level. So if we sow to the flesh, we reap to the flesh. If we sow to the spirit, we reap from the spirit and God will not be mocked, Paul says in Galatians 6. And so it doesn't mean just going out and just getting involved in fornication or drugs. It's talking about what captivates your mind. What is the thing that you're always thinking? What are the things that you aren't giving to God. And, and then you, if you do that, then you're reaping from that and you're wondering why you're having such a hard time. What do you look at? What do you listen to? All these things, that's important. You, you can't play with fire and not get burned, right? The evil in this world is the evidence of how dark the thought process of man that leads to horrific deeds against humanity is due to the hard heart. It's the evidence all around us. Listen to Genesis 6, 5. If you think that the flood cured the evil heart of man, listen. He says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil sometimes. No, it says Continuously. And God wiped out an entire world, except for eight. But the eight were sinners. It didn't remedy the problem. Every time you have a child as a parent, you bring in another little rotten sinner into the world. Cute, but a full-blown sinner. <laughs> the only way for a person to be one with God and to partaker of the life of God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Those are some very heavy words. Either they are true or they are not. They're the words of Jesus, the ultimate authority. People don't like that today. There are people in church that don't like that today. <laughs> There's pastors that wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole today. Um, willful ignorance about spiritual things. And God only affirms 
and increases the darkness of man's thinking, causing man to only speculate and philosophize about God. And they think they're so smart and so wise. Man loves to hear himself. They just love to hear themselves. Listen to Isaiah tells of the, um, the man who cuts down a tree. And then he takes the wood and he um, warms himself. And then he cooks some food. And then he takes the remainder of that and he makes a carved image. And he falls down before it and he worships it and he prays to it and says, Deliver me. For you are my God. They do not know nor understand. For he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so they cannot understand. Isaiah forty four seventeen through 18. Now Jesus picks this up and is repeated in the New Testament. It seems to say that God is the one who shuts their eyes, but that's not what it means. It means because their hearts are so hard, they can't see. So God gives them over to their blindness, to their hardness, to continue to be spiritually blind. The God of this world has blinded them, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says. The veil is still over the, the minds of the Jews as they read Moses in 2 Corinthians three fourteen. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians two fourteen tells us. You see the condition of the life Of heathens is this. It's hard for man to accept that. But unless we agree with God about our condition, we can't even consider salvation at all. And notice third and last in verse 19, you have the destruction to the life of heathens. The Apostle Paul declared the state of individuals. They come to destruction, literally self-destruction as a result of the conditions in verse 18. Paul stated this is the result of continuing in the condition described there in verse 18. As they continue a life of darkness in the thoughts and conclusions. As they continue living without God, as they continue being willfully ignorant about the things of God, as they continue having a hardened heart. Paul stated these individuals come to a place of having no sense of natural conscience, be it moral or ethical. It says, who being past feeling. Now, Paul is describing the Gentile world of his days, the debauchery, the depravity. So the, you may say, well, I'm not like that. It doesn't matter. He, he's exposing the capacity and the reality of man throughout history at times. The phrase being past feeling simply means to cease to feel pain. Or grief. 
The word in this form appears only this time in the New Testament. They no longer are able to sense the destructiveness of sin or the practices to their person, be it emotionally or physically. There's no shock. There's no... There's nothing. Notice the Apostle Paul declared the state of the degradation such individuals give themselves over to. In verse 19 also. Paul described the, listen, the reckless abandonment have given themselves over to lewdness. The phrase have given over to lewdness is one Greek word. Aselchia, and it means wantonness. A person who acknowledges no restraints. It's a great word. Plato called it impudence. Others called it preparedness for every pleasure. This is the characteristic of a person that does not care how much he shocks public opinion as long as he gratifies and gains his desires. They give themselves over, surrendered to a lifestyle of bondage and destruction, abandoning all restraints by giving themselves license for everything and anything. Wow, does this describe our day? When we turned the year 2000, we entered an amoral century. All black and white became gray. Isaiah said they call good evil, evil good. We're in that day. Relativism, value clarification, situational ethics. And when you do good, you are punished. When you speak righteously, you are condemned. Wow. The King James translates it licentiousness, which means you give yourself license to do anything and everything without restraint, which is utter deception. The word is a participle, perfect active, indicating a past fact and act with a continuous present activity. This is their lifestyle. This is where they live. This is where a lot of the Gentiles that Paul is writing to live. Now notice, Paul gives us the motive and purpose behind their reckless abandonment. Listen to the words. To work all uncleanness with greediness. The phrase to work means occupation to do business, to profit and gain with diligence. The word is used for Paul's craft and tent making in Acts 19.25. The idea here is of, of setting an environment to lure and entice and satisfy one's own fantasies and desires or whatever the goal is. This is the motivation. The measure, notice, is all uncleanness, which means every kind of immoral and impure thing in its widest sense. It is not limited to sexual sin or perversion of sex. 
it appears once again in the addition to sexual sin in Ephesians 5.3. So uncleanness in every way, the way you talk, your insinuations, and what you think, and what you do, and how you see women, and how you see men, or whatever it is. It's just that absolute unrestraint on every level. All uncleanness. So the measure is all uncleanness and the means, listen, is with greediness. Greediness describes the attitude to have more. The Greeks defined it as arrogant greediness, the accursed love of possessing. Eight of the ten times it appears in the New Testament, in the King James Version, it is translated covetous. The unlawful desire for the things that belong to others. All the living together goes on today. People don't even get married. They say divorce is dry. Why? Because people don't get married. The Throwing away of one's purity, both male and female. No big deal. The coveting of other things, spreading the wealth. (laughs) Entitlement. College students saying, you have to pay my tuition. You have to pay my college education. Really? Get a job. And if you get a loan, you pay it. You can't afford it, don't go to school. Simple. The spirit willing to satisfy self at or over the expense of others doesn't matter. To rob a young girl of her purity, to deceive and steal from an employer. To malign and to slander and to destroy. All of this is included. You know, just as a drug addict who destroys his life and gives himself over to that pursuit and that craving, it only leads him into harder and harder drugs and more drugs. Ultimate destruction. How many of us, even in the smallest of sins, once we committed them the first time, the difficulty and resistance to repeat it decreased every time until we weren't even bothered by it? Remember the first time you stole a candy bar? Man, that was hard. After the tenth time, you were pro. Those who were involved sexually in the world. The giving up of your purity was the hardest thing. It was a difficult decision. But once you did, there was no going back. The hardness of man's heart. It's in every one of us. 
Listen to 1 Timothy 4.2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Cauterize. 1 Timothy 4.2. Jeremiah 6.15 says, Were they ashamed when they had committed abominations? No. They were not all at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Jeremiah 6.15. When's the last time you saw somebody blush? When's the last time you blushed? A deception is in thinking you can handle such a life and are in control when in reality you're out of control. That's a deception of sin. Let me read uh, Romans that kind of ties it up. In Romans chapter 1, 22 to 28, it says, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man, of birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. That's the first stage, uncleanness. In the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason, here comes the second giving up. God gave them up to vile passions. So from unclean thoughts comes vile passions. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which is due. Interesting. Homosexuality, lesbianism. It's becoming illegal to say anything against them now. If we continue one day, I'll go to jail. That's the way it is. It says their penalty is due. It's appropriate. It's fitting. God's judgment on them. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to the debased mind or reprobate mind. That's the third thing. Unclean thoughts, vile affections, reprobate minds. It says to do those things which are not fitting or appropriate. Wow. The destruction to the life of the heathens is certain. It's no exaggeration. You and I partook of some of, that, some of that destruction. We paid a price in the world. By the grace of God, he cleansed us. He made us new. We know some of our friends that are still in the world. We see people how they live. How men and women go from person to person. The number of marriages that people have in divorces, even in the church. And it's all around us. And yet it's much like the world that Paul was preaching to. 
I think we're there. And it's not a national problem of America. It's all over the world. And so this is the admonition of Paul to Christians to not be like the Gentiles. Because now they were in Christ. Characterized by the prohibition of living like the heathen. The condition of the life of the heathens. And the destruction to the life of heathens. He lays it out. And that is why we study God's word. That's why we meditate on God's word. And that's why we believe that we have to obey God's word by his grace. So that we don't sow the flesh and thereby reap the consequences. And so, the new man is not to walk after the old man. Lord, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. Deal with our hearts and thank you for your grace. And Lord, we pray that you deal with us, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and God has brought you here to be saved and to repent. Maybe you're over the internet. Or maybe you're out there hearing our live broadcast over the internet also. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you believe that Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins and rose from the dead, you can be saved. It's called repentance. Asking Christ to forgive you of your sins and to give you a new heart and to save you. If this is your prayer, then this is your prayer to him, not to us. And you can repeat it right now and he's going to save you. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.